Thank you for joining Meet the Masters. Uh, Tim Watson here today. I'm joined by Sabanim William Glenn. Hello, sir. How are you? I am great. And you? I'm doing fantastic. I uh, Like I was saying, uh, you're making me get ready for vacation with that wonderful background. Do you know actually where that background is from? You know, someplace nice. Thank you, Microsoft. <laughs> how, are things, how are things for you right now? What's... Uh, What's what's the martial arts landscape looking for, uh, looking like for you in 2023? Oh, I am loving it. Um, uh, big plans. I am going for second week of August. I am Region 5 is flying me out. I'm going to be one of their guest instructors for Black Belt Camp. I love Black Belt Camps. There's nothing better than martial arts immersion. And then I am making plans to head to the Latin American Masters Camp in November. Excellent. Just uh, curious, can can we get a a little sneak preview to teach at the Region Five uh, Clinic? Absolutely. So for the last, I guess, decade or so now, I've been really focusing on footwork. That's sort of my thing. Um, basically, the short spiel is footwork's going to um, enable you to do whatever you want. If you want offense, footwork will give you. If you want defense, footwork will give you. If you want power, footwork will give you and allows you to control range. So whatever your game is, if you want to kick, it lets you stay in range. If you want to use your hands, it lets you choose the range. If you want to trap, even if you want to um, grapple, it allows you to bridge, get in a position to do whatever you want. So footwork's sort of ubiquitous. There, are, I, I'm tempted to say there are absolutely no fighters with bad footwork, great fighters with bad footwork, but there's always that one outlier. So we're just going to say 99% of great fighters always have good footwork. I would I would tend to agree with that. It's funny when I sent you the uh, last things, I think we come forth one was footwork. And I think you sent me one of the Jotty Tension uh, footwork drills and I wholeheartedly agree with you on that uh, statement. And I've taken some of your classes I think uh, the Blitz them all was that was that one. <laughs> <of them? laughs> oh, I love that. That was one of my greatest martial arts art. Being able to teach at Masters Camp that is just huge. And so that was sort of the core um, of what I teach. So there's sort of like three different levels. I just added another level to it. Um, so level one, defensive footwork. It, most important thing is don't get hit. And then once you know how to get out of a situation, now you can choose to stay there. And it's sort of like an empowerment model. If once your student's like, okay, I can get away from this person. Now I can stay in here, work with them. If I see something I don't like, I can disengage and then get back into it. Um, level two, blitz it all. So that's more the offensive footwork. And then level three is trapping. And probably one of the things that we teach in region five, I actually have another set of footwork um, complementary to the eight count, which was the defensive footwork. And I use that as a setup for all of our one steps. So you can use that to lead into your basic motions, your riding, your weaving, and your slipping. And really, um, one of the things I wrote about my fifth on thesis was just how those one steps give us those actions and those positions for when we're interacting with people. So I sort of joke about, you know, that statement like you're wherever you're going, your parents are coming back from. The TAC committee are like our parents. The older and older we get, the smarter and smarter they are. So all that stuff was there in the one step. It's just our jobs as instructors to pull it out and put it to our students. 
Yeah, I. It, it's funny. One of the things I've seen for the past couple of years, a lot of times there's this between free sparring and one step sparring, and they're they're closer than most people think, right? The and and it absolutely. I always I always go back to the footwork. Like all the footwork that we use in those can 100% be used, like you said, for all of those steps that you talked about. So I um like that you mentioned that and I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, really good sparring looks like one step. Think of all the times we've been in a tournament and we've all seen one of those oh moments. <laughs> there was always that setup. Right. Someone had the read, someone went for the technique and someone had the beautiful counter that has that back and forth, just like a one step. That's right. You can have the most beautiful kicks in the world, but if you can't get them to your opponent, they don't really matter. <laughs> exactly. And I live in a world where pretty much everyone's more flexible than me. Everyone's faster than me. And somehow I've managed to live. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my, um, I'm sure you remember uh, George, George Maybroda. Oh, yes, I will always remember George, 2008 yeah. Worlds. <laughs> so he was he was my original instructor. And uh, one of the things he always said, I was always going, man, you're so fast. Like, how are you so fast? He's like, I'm not fast. I just have more timing than you. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was it. That that kind of, that's, has stuck with me for, you know, for years at this point. Um, well, there's so many different ways to succeed and to be successful. So our job as instructors is like to pretty much to pretty much accentuate any of the any advantages our students will have, and then of course minimize any traps they have. So okay, is your timing really good? Are you really explosive? Do you have a good feel for rhythm? Are, are you smooth? Are you jerky? It's just like um, what was that other quote? Great fighters hide their or good good fighters hide their weaknesses, great fighters exploit their weaknesses. They become traps, they become baits, and then you can work off of it. I love that. That's great. Um, I, yeah, I love sparring. I, well, I love, that's what we're here to talk about. But sparring, I, I love that stuff. It's it's the best. I, um, I'm, I'm nursing an ACL. I'm rehabbing an ACL. So I have not sparred since last September. So I am, I'm feeling the itch. <laughs> Gotcha. So, well, the kicks are going to take a while, but one thing you can do, you can brace it up and just work your hands. That's exactly, yeah, I've, I've been doing some light stuff with some of the, the students, but uh, doing some bag work with the with the hand. So, <laughs> right. You you exploit your weaknesses. I'm bad. My weakness now is my leg. Now I'm going to improve my hands. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know what the end effect is going to be? You're going to leave a person with a choice when you have all your weapons back. They're going to have the choice. They can stay out, get kicked, scored upon, maybe look stupid, or they can try to get inside your legs and get crushed. Right. They can decide <laughs> what happens. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, so let's go back. We talked about 2023. I wanted to talk to you about how, how you got your start in the martial arts. So let's do this. Let's talk about um, where you're based and, and where you got and how you got your start. Okay, I'm based in California, um, in Los Angeles, Pasadena, just 15 minutes north. I started as a white belt in 1990 at Caltech Tungsido, as Master Goodwin mentioned. Um, we were the first two students there. Of course, I was a white belt, she was a black belt. Um, 
And we've been there ever since, or at least I've been ever since. She got her PhD and moved on and started many schools. But right now, me and Mr. Hassan, we run the school. Um, basically, he took over the school after the line was Chris Pasquino, who started the school. Then it went to Kelly for a little while, and then Eric Severin, and then Ricardo Hassan. And that was the line of instructors. Kelly may not have officially had it. I may, it's been so long that that may be in my mind. So it could have gone straight from Chris to Eric to Ricardo. And those were the official instructors. And she was always flying a high cap for us. She was like pretty much my biggest role model. I'm a little bit envious. I mean, we've all seen her. Why can't I kick like that? <laughs> Although if I could kick like that, probably a lot of people would be in trouble. I, um. So 1990, I'm assuming you were going to the, the college. What sparked your interest in taking class? <laughs> okay, picture this. My freshman year, I'm there, and I'm actually on the fencing team. Okay. So we worked out at the same time as the Tungsto people. So we're in our deep lunges. They're in their side splits. Needless to say, within five, five days, I had jumped ship and moved over to Tungsto, and the rest was pretty much <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I was gonna say that the the talking about footwork, <laughs> uh, you need a little bit of footwork for fencing as well. <laughs> you know, all martial arts are very similar. It's like, yeah. are you gonna step and you drag? Are you gonna drag and you step? Are you gonna shuffle? They even have um, a front cross over blitz. They refer to it as a fletch. So combat sports are very similar. Um, that front cross over switch that all the time. That is just a mu Thai switch when they're gonna use their front leg. So it's all connected when you really think about it. It's just, what's your range? What's your weapon? It's all pretty much convergent at some point. I'm gonna to have to do a, a part two of this interview at, in the dojang. Oh, <laughs> heck yes. Well, I wanna come back out to your region. I love going out to Region 8, that was fun. So if it ever gets to happen again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm open to that. travel anywhere. I love Don camps. All right, I'll have to remember that for next year. We went back to uh, an over camp this year, so. Oh, excellent. We had Master Wheeler out a couple weeks ago, so that was a good time. Oh, I love Master Wheeler. He's the one that gave me an invite for um, Region 5, Don camps. Excellent, yeah. Great regional director. Yes, I agree. Um, so what were the what was the training like back uh, as a white belt? Um, you know, like you said, alongside Master Goodwin. <laughs> Inspirational and fun. I was making some notes going over your list, Dan. One of the things that I loved was basically at tech, we pretty much didn't have a lot of other stuff to do. I mean, we had work, of course, it's Caltech, but for fun, Tung Sudo was what we did. And whenever we needed to blow off steam, not only do we have our normal classes, a bunch of us were in the club. So we'd have in our dorms, we'd have workout sessions and we have conditioning sessions. So we had um, a line on the wall to see who had the best vertical jump. Um, we had um, one of the old hydraulic stretch machines we used it so much that we busted a seal on it. <laughs> so we had a lot of official training, but we also had a lot of unofficial training, a lot of bumps and bruises. But <laughs> again, it made us really good. It was a lot of immersion. Yeah. I uh, I started when I was 21, and it was in the co college town, U University of Delaware. And 
it was the same way where it was like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go out or do you want to train? Let's go spar. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So so many reps. And I was really um, blessed because of all the people that I had with me. I mean, I trained with Ricardo San, Master San. And with the exception of our Somdon test, we have done every black belt test together and um, our fourth and our fifth Don test together. So he is, you've met him. He's phenomenally fast, very explosive. So he was like the first archetype. He was a speed guy. He was a jammer. And then you had Mr. Hightower. He's the, he's the second Don now. Okay, funny divergent. So I brought a couple people into Caltech Tungsten when I started. So Ricardo San, Kodanja. Salamodero, Kodanja. The other person that was in that group was Adrian Hightower. I'm still hoping, holding out hope for him to be Kodanja. That way I'll get a perfect record. But he went all eight years at Caltech. So he's got a PhD and he's got four kids. So I'm going to give him another 10 years. <laughs> but eventually I want to see him at Master's Clinic. Nice. But he was a master on Mr. Hightower. He's a Edon. He was a high jumper and a marathon runner. So he, of course, was the runner. So jammers, when you get when you're fighting and you move on them, a jammer is going to close the distance. So a runner, when you move on them, they're going to expand the distance. And of course, me being the heavy guy, I was the blocker. I didn't move. I just checked and fire. And then Mr. Son, uh, Mr. Odero, he was the wild card because he cross trained in Capoeira. They have so much circular motion, so he keep equidistance and off angle. So the four of us would just train together and whack on each other. But the cool thing is it prepped us to fight other people. So we were, there was one of us that could emulate any other style. Probably my two favorite um, sparring experiences were we got two Caltech street, two Caltech sweeps, first, second, and third in regional sparring. So it's just like, it wasn't me, it was all of us. And that was really, really cool. That is awesome. That's cool. You got, you love it. That's a love hate. Like you like being in the same ring as friends, but then, you know, like, ah, oh, like, you know how tough they're, they are as competitors. Hey, <laughs> so I was right all there your too. fights be at home. When you go out into the world, let that be easy. Now caveat, let all your tough fights be at home, your home dojo with your friends. Right. With, if it's your wife, <laughs> duck and cover. Yes, ma'am. Tap out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, everyone's the a few occasions like I I trained with uh, Master Mabrook, and there was one time where I uh, I came up again in a competition and <laughs> it didn't go so well for me. Not surprising. <laughs> Mo is amazing. Yeah, he's the man. Um, so you go through you. I'm assuming graduate from Caltech. Um. Do you continue to train there after after college? Yes. I yeah. got a job in Azusa, which was just down the street. And I've I've been training there ever since. I've been lucky. Every time I've had a job, I've been able to, I come back here. I live in Pasadena and I've been able to train. The one thing that maybe would have gone the way and not really, they did move headquarters and they asked me to move to Detroit. So I respectfully declined, took the package, and now I'm just doing the same thing for one of their competitors, and I have a home office, so it all works out. (laughs) Nice. So where along the line does uh, Kempo come in? 
Okay, so 1992, I am a Tung Sudo brown belt, and one of my friends is looking for a doujin. Um, or sorry, dojo. He's looking for a Japanese style, and we thought it was an old town Pasadena. So I go down with them looking for the school, and I come across Larry Tatum's Kempo Studio. It wasn't the place he was looking for, but we sat down and watched the class. Um, the next day, I went back. I knew a little bit about Kempo. I'd seen the movie The Perfect Weapon, and when I used to go down to classes at UC Irvine, um, their Tung Sudo class, one of the Red Belts who always went to the tournaments warned me about Kempo guys. He said they had really dangerous ridge hands and other stuff like that. So I was curious. And I went and I took a class and it was actually taught by Grandmaster Tatum. He gave me an intro and I love it. It just stuck. And like everything else, I just kept doing it. And I think we're what, 31 years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> For those of you, for those of the people watching that aren't familiar with Kempo, can you give us a, a, a crash course on maybe the difference in that and and what the what it help, what it brings to your style? You know, absolutely. So for the people that are world tongue sudo, you're going to know we're about seventy percent kicks, thirty percent hands. Kempo reverse it. It's about 70% hands and 30% kicks, and the kicks are low-line kicks. You can actually kick to the groin, which makes things very interesting when you go to certain tournaments. Um, and for Tung Sudo, the heart of our art is our forms, and then everything branches out from that. The heart of Tung Sudo is actually, or the heart of Kempo is actually Il Sik. It's their one steps. So there are... 10 belts going up to a black belt and each one of those cards has basically 24 self-defense techniques that can be anything from a three move combination to a 12 move combination. So they're all about their chain reaction one steps. And a lot of them have the same theme and they go through basically um, the textbook and then there's a what if, and then there's a formulation phase. So a lot of the attacks look similar, but there's little things. Did they step to the inside of your foot? Did they step to the outside of the foot? Did they step toe to toe? Did they step knee to knee? Or were they outside? That dictates your range. So there's going to be maybe five or six different techniques for a right step through punch, but each one teaches you a different flavor. So sometimes you'll counter with an elbow if they step knee to knee looks a lot like our number 16. Sometimes they're toe to toe or a little bit further out. So then you're gonna use your hand a full punch like number four. Sometimes you're gonna be in really close. So you're gonna use something like number nine from your hand. So it teaches you the different ranges and the different possibilities. So it's really cool because you get so many, you're always working on a person, which is nice. You're not just hitting air, you're hitting a person always with respect and control, of course. Yeah. Um, but you're always working on a person. So you're basically learning on two different levels. There's the intellectual side, but then there's that tactile side of, wow, there's actually a person here. There's actually a hand. I'm actually hitting them and working the technique. So you get lots of reps on people. And of course, you work on all the different body sizes. And it's just, it, for me, it's a lot of fun. There is some 
philosophy slash spirituality, but um, a lot, Tungsuo has a lot of tradition. Tempo, a lot of the tradition has been taken out and it's been replaced by more algorithm. Gotcha. So it's, a, I don't want to say a little bit more modern, but it's a little bit more um, algorithmic than Tungsuro is. So those two things work really well together. What I didn't find out until later, because of course, when you're a white belt or an underbelt, you really don't have any idea of how big of a world you're stepping into. But later on, as I spent more time in it, I basically, by sheer luck, ended up in the two martial arts from the golden age of karate. All the really wild Kempo fighters, or all the really wild tournament fighters, were either Tung Sado with Chuck Norris, Daniel Garcia, um, and those guys, or they were Kempo fighters with Tre Frank Trejo and um, Ed Parker's fighting team. So I ended up in like two of the more serious martial arts or tournament fighting. So I guess there's some destiny involved there. The best of both both worlds when you think about it, like you said, uh, one one is more kicking, one's more uh, striking with the hands and lower kicks. Uh, you know, some of the things that I, I think is great with Kimpo. One, you talked about the one steps. Sometimes I feel like some of them are are basically a form, right? <laughs> You know, it's it's like if Taz, the Tasmanian devil did martial art, it would be Kimpo. Uh. I have heard that before. <laughs> now, one of the things that I can say is it, what's the term they throw? It isn't overkill, it's overskill. And no one ever oh, expects you to use the entire one step. In fact, if you use the entire one step, they should probably take your black belt away because yeah. any one of those shots should be able to end it. But you have the, what if this happens? What if that happens? And it just keeps you flow. It's like better to be looking at it than looking for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll you'll probably be able to relate to this. One of the things that us point fighters come across when we go into continuous fighting or full contact fighting, we'll hit and stop. This still happens to me to this day when I'm switching gears and I play with my Muay Thai friends, I'll hit them. And then I'll, I'll rock them and I'll stop. And they're like, uh, we don't do that here. Mm. So it's it's just good. You just practice and you go. One of the other things I do when you're talking about having a body is I think uh, that style is very good at hitting pinpoint accuracy, like on the vital points. They 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 know exactly where every vital point is and can hit them with, you know, pinpoint accuracy. Well, that's the system and that's the reps. Oh, and actually a funny thing. This one came from Master Guruna. She said one of the best things Kempo did for me was it gave me control. Because when I was a brown belt, I had, shall we say, the typical big guy lead leg sidekick. And it was going to go out as far as it went out. And if stuff was in the way, oh, well. <laughs> but when you're playing with Kempo and you're dealing with necks and eyes and kidneys and knees, control, don't break your toys, becomes necessary. And all that control that I learned in Kempo sort of percolated through to my tongue to nose. So I became a much more pleasant person to spar with. <laughs> um, you mentioned competing. You you guys and competing with your friends and, and getting ready was was that a big part of your 
you're coming up through World Tongue Sudo? Oh, absolutely. We loved it. Um, yeah, I hit regionals every year. Um, actually, luckily, I, I was doing the math. Um, I got my black belt in 1996. And then I got to tap for master's camp in 2009. So I had won my division at regionals every year between those two points. Wow. So it was cool. But hey, Master Purnell was doing it long before me. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to him about World Championships in 1986, and he's just so, so, you know, it was great. Everyone was awesome. Like, but no, you're you're the man like you're you were the man you are the absolutely man. <laughs> i joke i literally it, it's great having him in the room i will go stop i will look at everyone what i'm teaching you to do i'm just explaining what he was doing 30 years ago right <laughs> <laughs> i'm just giving you cliff notes i do what he does just slower <laughs> much slower yeah exactly yeah my instructor is master godwin so <laughs> oh there you go. Here's you understand. Cut from the same cloth. Yeah. <laughs> we stand on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the the 2008 World Championships. How many World Championships were you able to compete in? Um. So let's see. 92 as a brown belt. And that was actually Caltech's first demo. And we actually got third place at World. So that was really, really wild. Um, So 92, 96 in Vegas. That was awesome. That was my first time competing as a black belt. And I got a silver in sparring. And I don't remember what I did in forms. I may have snuck off the third. What was really cool Vegas, it was the one time Worlds was in Vegas, and it was really big. So we almost had enough people to do a heavyweight forms division. We had like six guys. If we had eight, we could have had our own forms division <laughs> for the like all Nahachi all day long. <laughs> and then let's see. Um, 2000... 2000, 2006 um, were Anaheim, and I went to both of those, and those were my two world gold medals. And then um, 2008, that was my last Worlds, that was Florida, and I got a silver there. Nice. So who were who were some of the guys, like, in, you know, in Vegas in 96, do you remember some of the guys that you competed with that, that are still around that are assuming the masters okay still around that gets a little bit tougher i remember um 96 i i lost to the british national champion okay Um, to (laughs) 2000 2006 okay well let's go her i always have to give props to ricardo because (laughs) if i won sec if, if i won first if i got a gold he probably got a silver and let's be honest we're not in the same weight class. (laughs) (laughs) So there's been one or two times he's gotten hosed and he's gotten thrown in with me for worlds. And it's just like, no, this is not right. (laughs) 
Um, it happens. You, you you know you know the game that you're playing when you when you go to those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, let's see. I remember. Let's. There's a lot of people that aren't around anymore. Um, okay. Um, my. I'm trying to remember the year. I think this was. 2000 or 2001 you can blame master i for this so i was coming out for work um our headquarters at least for the motor group that i work with was in chicago so i'm flying out for work i'm talking to master nosha master nosha has been hanging out with us ever since i was a brown belt so like 91 92 he's like our crazy uncle that would always come to visit us <laughs> at caltech the reason he would was, remember I mis mentioned Eric Severin, um, he was a brown belt that went from McAllister College, he was training with Master I, and came to Caltech. So one of his students was there, so Mike would come out and train with us. Nice. So he gets me to go to Chicago. Um, I think this was part of his plan, but that was the first time I won a regional cup because I'd always win sparring, but I'd always get maybe a third or I'd get blown out in forms. And of course, two forms division, one sparring division, I was never gonna win a cup. So I won a cup that year and I have a feeling he brought me in to sort of mess with Master Elmore. And I didn't know who Master Elmore was at the time. He wasn't Master Elmore. I wasn't solving him Glenn. And we ended up in the finals. And I remember Master Elmore had this really cool spinning heel kick, but he'd also break posture to take his head out of the way. But I was a little bit taller, so I was still able to catch him when we were sparring. I feel like we were on the same trajectory because I was the same way. I was the guy that always messed up the the guys for the cup because coming up, I you know first and second Don, I didn't always uh, hang with the forms, and then I got I got there eventually, but I was always there for the sparring. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, another master eye story. Him being the puppet master that he is. <laughs> um, I was out one time for Chicago. And that for work. And I always would stop and train with them. So I think this was 2004. So I'm there. I'm working on my Kong Se Kong doing the form. And I, I go full tournament power, everything. He comes up, looks at me and goes, you do that form in public? And it's like, ah, so, needless to say, we spent the next 90 minutes working on it. It worked out. Long story short, when we went back to regionals, and it was really cool because Region 1, Region 20 used to be part of Region 1. So, when we split, Region 1 got to keep the May date uh, for their tournament. Region 20 got the October date. The reason that's important is in World's Year, our regionals is after the world championships. Mike tweaked my form well enough and I didn't go to worlds in 2004, but I beat the world champion in forms that year. He came to our region. Nice. <laughs> so I have two cups, one in my region. That was 2004 and one in region five. And at least I can say I did it. <laughs> It could have been just the shock of like, 
wait, I didn't know his knees bent like that in a form. The judges were like, I don't know what to do. I've never seen that. So it could have just been the shock value. Yeah, it was probably the Maserai effect. Yeah. Similar story where he came, he was in town for Hapkido and uh, he was sitting, we used we trained at Master Goblin's studio and he was sitting in the lobby. He was like, I have some work to do. And we were sparring. And I think one, someone was getting ready for an open tournament and we we're talking back fists and stuff like that. And uh, someone says, oh, we'll do it like this. And, you know, he comes out quietly. He's just like, yeah, you could do it that way. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, we, we've heard that before. <laughs> and then we got the lesson. And, uh, yeah, it was always, always fun getting a chance to work with him. Yeah. And Master I was actually my in to um, Master Khalid. So, again, no longer with us, but he was a big influence. And Mike trained with him when he was in Arizona um, for kinesiology school. So um, we got to train with him and I got to train with him. And I still <laughs> a lot of my stuff from him. That's great. Um, as far as teaching, so... How did you get into teaching? Do you remember the first time that you had the opportunity to, to help out with classes? And, and why do you have the, the passion? Like, there, there's certain people. So I, I, one of my mentors was Master Waters. And I get the uh, Waters. Uh, Master Waters. He's another big guy, talks real loud. He's a big, <laughs> big giant teddy bear. But... <laughs> Yeah. But he just he just oozes like passion for the art and, and you're the same same. Have you always been like that when it comes to teaching? Um, I think so. Um, so my first exposure to teaching was the, the Caltech Green Belts would do warm-ups. So that was my first official capacity. Yeah. And of course, my warm-ups were always going to be sparring drills. Um Eric Severin's warm-ups were always going to be conditioning. <laughs> And I remember I was like him always running us all around the campus, calisthenics. And it's like, okay, we'll settle up when we go sparring at the end. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I spent, that was my first um, official duties, but it always sort of came sort of naturally because, I mean, on the notes, you asked about hints that I would give for people teaching. And I'd say, teach what you're passionate about and teach what you're successful at because you're going to, you believe, you believe it yourself because you've done it and that's going to translate to your students. And also if you want to understand something, try to teach it because just because it works for you doesn't mean you can explain why it works for you or the underlying principle. But once you've taught it enough and you've seen other people do it and maybe they're successful, maybe they're not, it's like, okay, we need to tweak this, this, and that, and then it starts working. And then when you see them winning, it is just huge. And no one does this in a vacuum. We were white belts. People took the time to help us. I had a great inspiration to Master Goodwin, and she spent so much time on me. So as far as I'm concerned, this is just paying it forward because I owe everyone helped me get where I am and I love it. So I want to do that for other people. Awesome. And I, I, with that, it's just like, like you said, so many people put stuff into me and I, I, I feel 
not in debt. I, I, I feel like I owe them, like you said, I owe them to continue that, you know, passive, the, you know, play, pay it forward. Oh, um, absolutely. And it's and like you said, and it's, <laughs> it, it's cool. And it's like, there, there may be people better than you. There may be better people better than me, but there's going to be no one better than us. So as a pack, as a group, we all train together. No one gets good in a vacuum. So you train together and the, the entire pack gets better. That entire hive mind, the entire Tungsudo organization, the entire school. And it's just really cool to go out there and do it. I have a question about the, the club. Is it just college students or do you have other, do, do or What's the student base? So the way it works, um, we're in the Caltech gym. So anyone that is in the Caltech community, so you can be a, an undergrad the way we were, you can be a grad student, you could be um, faculty like a professor, or you could be staff. So we've over the years, we've had all of that. Generally, okay. what you're not going to have is you're not going to have a bunch of little kids. We could, people could bring their kids, but usually it's been college students and adults. Gotcha. Do you have any experience with teaching like the little guys? <laughs> Limited experience. It's less, one of the regional jokes is like, oh, we're handing out assignments. Mr. Glenn, would you like Tiny Tigers? And I get the dramatic squirrel. It's like, no, 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 just kidding. Well, we'll, we'll have to ask you. Um, but it is, okay, all challenges are ways to learn. So when I was in region two, uh, Master <laughs> Williamson brought me out for one of their black belt classes and we had different sections. So the kids section came along. So it's like, okay, how am I going to teach this non-intellectually trivial footwork pattern and algorithm to these little kids? And then it's just like, okay, square up. You step on his foot. You move your foot away. Okay, now you step on his foot. You move his foot away. And they were able to grasp it. And what's funny is I've used that with adults now. <laughs> the ones that aren't getting the footwork, it's like, okay, square up, step on his foot, step on his foot. And the other one moves the foot, moves the foot. And it's like, if it works for kids, it should work for us. So I am not naturally a kid's instructor, but I'll make the attempt. And the smarter the kid, the better I do. The more focused the kid, the better I do, which is, duh, makes sense. <laughs> If I get one of those spinning kids that just sort of checks out, it's just like, I need to work on my engagement skills and I'll get back to that child. <laughs> but we're all works in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. Uh, that's just, that's such a simple little, you know, you step on the foot and then the next time they try to step on it, you step back and I, I, I'm probably going to steal that for the kids. Hey. Yeah, they can it, use it. <laughs> We're like Johnny Appleseed. We just put information out into the universe, and it will do some good. Yeah, um, it, it's hard one to get them to to move. It's like you don't want to stand in front of your partner. You don't want to stand in front of your partner, and you won't hands up. <laughs> the, those are those are the two toughest parts: is is moving. Don't go backwards, and keep your hands up. <laughs> Well, kids. not, I am not, my mom's a teacher. I am not like a educator as far as formally taught instructor, but 
that's where you have drills and rigor and you just try to set the parameters, set the drill and just have them do it over and over again. And even if they learn it by rote, sooner or later, if they can do it by rote, then they'll understand what they're doing on later on. One of the things that I, I want to get your uh, your thoughts on this, you you always have a that you are you that tactile feel. Um, and I was actually talking about this with uh, Mrs. Master Watson last night, where sometimes you put a target in front of a kid and they're good, but then as soon as you take it away and tell them to do a form or do a one step, it's a little tougher to to keep that focus. Any, oh, any absolutely. Or, uh, thoughts on that? Um, honestly, um, it, it takes a little bit more time and a little bit more manpower, but use two or three or four people and have them do a form on multiple people. And that way they get the linkage of the tactile feedback of actually blocking and punching and the other side can actually see what stuff's looking at it. So if you do a form, you put one person at three, one person at nine, one person at 12, block, punch, block, punch, block, punch, and you work the form. And that is actually a really good intro to Bunkai. Mm. And then once you, when people, there are some people that you can just say, do the move and they're gonna get it. And that works for about half the people, but there are other people that are gonna go, what am I doing, why? And that's when you use the bunkai or the bungsu or the bungji or whatever the proper Korean term is. And you start doing it and then they're like, oh, okay. And it isn't like um, bunkai is a one-stop shop as far as there's not just one bunkai, there's multiple bunkai. And then you get into all the variations of the technique. So you can start with people in front and you're in shibu and someone does the double wrist grab. And then you're basically your chamber for the low block is a double escape. And then, yeah, it could be a block or it could be hammer fisting someone in the groin and blasting them mm -hmm. and then grabbing their hair, spinning them around, throwing them, stomping on them and hitting the other person. So you can make it as interesting as you want or as Master I would say, as spicy as you want or it's kids, block, punch, block, punch. If it's adults, it's like, okay, now we're doing something a little bit more flavorful because it's self-defense. So it's, what meaning are you going to attach to all those actions? That's great. I like that. Um, and I, I like bunkai. Just for those of you who don't know what that is, it's application of the forms that you do. So if you have a move, you're you're figuring out, you know, the what ifs. <laughs> what if my exactly. the person grabbed me? And like you said, you're a chumbi. They grab you that first move, whatever it might be. Um, and that's the fun the puzzle, you know, fitting the puzzle pieces together. That's a, that's a cool way. And I like that just the kids like, you know, they keep it simple, have them block, feel that, right? So if they know the, if the block is, is there, the kick is coming, it's out of the way. And that way, or a move to it as just punching and kicking the air. Yeah, yeah it, it has more of a feel or um, the retraction hand. Um, this comes up a lot in sparring now, granted, it's not technically legal for what we do, but we always have that chamber hand, and a lot of people say, well, what's the chamber for? You're preparing for the next shot. That's true once it's in the chamber, but the hand going back to the chamber, pretty much everything can be yuk su or yuk jin. You have that grab and pull 
that mm-hmm. can be on a leg, it could be on a hand. And now you've got that action and reaction. That way you don't have wasted motion. It's doing work going back. It's doing work going out. And that way you can be twice as slow or half (laughs) as fast, depending on how you think about it. (laughs) You get to hit them going backwards and forwards instead of just going forwards. That's right. Right. Um, One of the things we haven't talked about yet, uh, any memories of of working with Greg or seeing him at the, the various tournaments? I had the honor of being regional security. Okay. So I I've had it it was good. I he was just Grandmaster Shin, Grandmaster Bodwin, Grandmaster Strong. I've done security for all of them. And yeah, it, it's just great to have that time because you you get to just hear what they think when you're driving around or taking place or when they're working with each other and all the senior masters and you just get to be a fly on the wall. It's just really, really great. And yeah, it just lots of good memories. I probably, Grandmaster Shin had a sense of humor, a really great sense of humor. Um, I, my first time I had security, this was like 96, and it was a tournament in Tijuana. And we just go down, um, we're we're at the tournament, it's in an auditorium, an arena. So he gets up, walks around, I'm walking around with him. So we go up to the, um, the top level. So we're away from when everyone else is just looking down and we're talking to him and he's like cracking jokes with me. It's just like, how cool is this? It's like, I'm this nobody Chodon, not even a Chodon for a year. And Grandmaster's like chill and being nice to me. It's just like awesome experience. Now, was that the, uh, I've heard stories of like Master Pernell, Master Marsh, Master Cole going down. The- was that one of those trips? Um, That was just a regional tournament. Those trips were actually yeah, legendary. Those were before my time when they were basically um, doing the missionary work and building up Region 12 and that type of thing. Okay. So you, uh, yeah, so you went, it was just, you just went with Grandmaster Shin or how did that work? You, you... Um, yeah, wherever he came in, I was security with him, except for world championships, because of course they had Master Beam back in the day. So he was security. Right. security. <laughs> him and, and, and Master Merrill. Oh, yes. The, the true big man of Tung Sudo. <laughs> I, I, it was funny, whenever that comes up, I always talk about, I am on the high end of average. I can still get clothes at a normal store. I don't have to go to Big and Tall. You get to Master Beam, you get to Master Merrill's, like those are the legitimately big men and you really don't want them to put their hands on you. It's gonna end <laughs> very poorly for you. How tall are you? I am 6'2". My wife always claims I'm 6'3", but <laughs> I am 6'2". <laughs> That's funny. Um talked about this a little bit um people that you've trained with master goodwin and, and master Hassan and, and those guys um outside of world tung sudo who are some of the guys that you train with uh, as far as kempo goes oh okay so i am a student of 
Grandmaster Larry Tatum. So that makes me first generation Tatum, and that makes me second generation Ed Parker. So Ed Parker was the founder of American Kempo Karate, and Larry was basically his protege. So I've been very lucky from the day from day one of Kempo, I've been a student of a grandmaster. So that is a very unique experience. So it's been tons of fun. Um, and so Larry had his cadre of very senior black belts. I'm with Rick Jeffcoat now, who was Larry Tatum's protege. Um, Larry's moved to Prescott, Arizona. So I train with Rick and um, I'm there three days a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. No, Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. So I'm still actively training. And then we have open technique lines. Some of you have probably seen my <laughs> Facebook feeds. <laughs> you see a bunch of people in black yees all sweaty and smiley doing these ridiculously long one steps on each other. Yeah, I, and again, the one on step Facebook. we're not going to use from beginning to end. You can use any given portion, switch up the order. And that's the way it's supposed to come out. Yeah. Again, I I equate it to to a form, right? If, yeah. if you did it, if you did a basai on someone, <laughs> <laughs> there's something wrong. Like you're you're mentally unstable, or you have really bad technique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. There are there are so many good Kempo guys that I train with. Um, two other people, Cliff Seminario and Juan Serrano, those were sort of my peers. It was really funny. Um, I remember when I was getting ready to test for my fourth degree in Kempo, and they had basically tested before me. One of my favorite things was like Friday night line. We just go in there and two hours, we just bang and throw and just had so much fun. And it occurred to me, I'm going to be the weak link, weak link fourth degree. And both of these guys are considerably smaller than me, but their technique is phenomenal. Um, Juan was this little 110-pound guy. Picture a male Puerto Rican Kelly Goodwin doing Kempo. <laughs> that level of concentrated technique. So to this day, I still steal some of his stuff. And then you have Cliff, who is sort of like Ricardo, very strong, very physical, very fast. His nickname was the Mongoose. So the three of us, we all had our different flavors of Kempo. And then we had all these phenomenal instructors that we were learning underneath. And it was just a blast. So mm -hmm. I, I had some really great formative years in both Tungsudo and Kempo. And it informs all my decisions in the way I train now. Do, they, do, uh, do you have free sparring in Kempo? Yes, we do. Not only do we have normal freestyle, um, free sparring, but just like we have one steps, we have prescribed combinations. In fact, what I teach a lot is um, basically something called B3A and B4A. So the base move looks a lot like our yuksu, block, reverse punch. The number, so that's the base, grab punch to the body, to the face, B1A, grab punch to the body, um, B. So now you have different footwork, one through six. One is an in-place stance change. Where you use that is if someone blocks and then they just shift stance and hit them. Two is a shuffle, like a blitz. You're going in and then you hit them. Three is a front crossover step out. Four is a front crossover step through. Five is a naked step through. Six is a rear cross. So 
it's basically how you can start building an offense. You keep your base and then you vary the footwork depending on the range of your opponent, what their perceived reaction is, and the timing. Nice. So it's actually sort of methodical, which is really, really cool. But that's it. It's it's repeatable. Yes, it's repeatable and teachable. Yeah. So I what I've started saying, are you familiar with that Disney movie, Ratatouille? Yeah. Everyone can cook? Well, <laughs> I personally believe everyone can fight. I Okay, straight up. If your students cannot fight or if they're scared to fight, and let's be honest, I use sparring and fighting interchangeably. I do not mean self-defense because none of us should be doing self-defense. We should not be putting our hands on each other and other people shouldn't be putting their hands on us in real life. But if you're talking in the dojo and training and sparring, your students should be comfortable with that. And if they're not, as instructors, we're not doing our job. We need to empower them. And you can sit them down or take them out for an attractively displayed non-alcoholic beverage, since this is in public domain, <laughs> and just find out, okay, talk to me about what's going on. What's your worry? What's your understanding? Sometimes they're going to say, oh, I don't know what to do. We can cover that. We teach right. them stuff to do. Or you can tell them I'm intimidated or scared. Then you go back to how do you empower them? Remember how I talked about footwork? Just a little thing. This will this is really useful in tongues to know where to stand. Don't stand too close. That way you don't get kicked without seeing it. And then once you've learned not to stand so close, now how do you see it coming? You could take the most gifted 16-year-old female with that roundhouse kick. If you're standing at the right distance, she's going to have to drag up before she kicks. And now when you see that drag, leave. And you just have them work that drill. So now you have a student that's like, oh, I can keep them from kicking me. I can actually have some influence. You're never going to have absolute control in sparring, but you can have influence. So now the next time when someone's there, now they're empowered. And it's like, oh, I can choose to stay here. And if I see something that I don't like, I can always bail and reset. So and then you just start inching them up, inching them up. Or when you're teaching smaller students to fight the big guy. Don't stand in front of them. <laughs> when a train's coming, get off the track. Hence why we teach that eight count. One and two, get off the track. Five and six, get off the track. All my power doesn't mean squat if I can't touch you. Okay, are we going to go with best defense? No be there? The words of Miyagi. That's right. It's all true. Although you can't really use that anymore. When we were coming up, that was gold. You you look at a 16-year-old today, they're going to Scooby-Doo you and go, who is Miyagi? Although with Cobra Kai, now they got it. Yeah. Or you say, my favorite, a moving target's harder to hit. <laughs> there you go. Very true. We'll go Top Gun. Don't let them get lock on you. If they That's get right. blown, you're going to have a bad day. You don't want to hear, Yes, don't stand in the red zone. Uh, yes, yeah. you are. If they're basketball players, don't stand in the paint. Our That's job right. is to find whatever helps break through to students. If they're a musician, talk to them in terms of rhythm, rhyme, and meter. If they're an engineer or a civil engineer, talk to them in terms of structure. If they're chemists, okay, we got a reaction going. It's exothermal. You probably want to leave. <laughs> so just our job is to reach them and help them understand. And it is probably the coolest thing that happens is when I work on something with a student 
and they catch me with it. And it's just like, yes, that's perfect. That's exactly what, and not only did they catch you, they surprised you because they remembered something from three lessons ago. I remember I was with one of our grad students and I was working with her blitzing and her hand follow-ups and we were having a kicking day and she did this beautiful series of kicks. I checked it off. I thought we was done and she hit me with the triple blitz. And I was like, yes, that was awesome. That is awesome. You, yeah, I love that. Right, that that's that's the best. Um, it's like they listened. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like with parents. It's like they did something I told them to. Yeah, right. <laughs> all the joy and none of the pressure of parenting. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're getting to an hour here, and oh, jeez, uh, you were right. It does just totally blow by. It really does. Um, again, I want to thank you for joining me. Is there anything else that we we didn't touch on? Like I said, I feel like I need a, a, a an accompanying video to explain some of the footwork that you were talking about. Um, Anytime we we will do the clear. Okay, pull some strings. See if you can get me invited out to Region Eight again. We will play. We will we will do. We, well, depending on how you feel, we either live stream it or we can edit it out. And then we can have our gag reel later on. <laughs> I'll have to, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk offline. Um, Absolutely. But that would be awesome. Um, yeah, so again, thank you for coming coming on. I appreciate it. And um, hopefully I will see you. I'll, I'll definitely be there. I missed this this year at Masters Clinic because of the knee. But I, uh, I will definitely be there next year. We're all playing the long game. And <laughs> keep in mind. Get healed, get healed up, and then maybe we can go to Argentina together. That, that's right. I want to go. I I, I want to hit all of them. I, I want to do European and and the Latin America as well. This will be my fourth time in Latin America. I have not made it to the European one. I do want to go to that one as well. I'm very much looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and uh, I will see you soon, sir. Tung Su. Tung Su. Thank you.